This is Arab Talk on KPOO 89.5 FM in San Francisco. This is Arab Talk with Jess and Jamal. I'm Jess Nam, And I'm Jamal Dejani. Well, Jamal, in the midst of all the things going on, Afghanistan, Hurricane Ida, the COVID Delta pandemic, there's a lot to talk about today. But ironically, one of the things that's dropped from the radar is there are a lot of interesting international problem hotspot areas brewing right now, which have not made the mainstream media. And today we're going to be watching and listening to an interview you did with uh, Professor Abdelkader Barahoum, who is a faculty at uh, Middlebury Institute in Monterey, who's going to talk about some real unusual and kind of problematic things going on between Algeria and Morocco, which I was surprised to hear about, even in how close attention I pay to these things. And then after that, we'll talk a little bit about uh, what's happening in Afghanistan and then uh, in Palestine. So we got a lot to talk about today. That's right, Jess. And of course, uh, Morocco and Algeria (laughs) is not going to come in the radar. You know, it's just like a small footnote in the media here with everything else going on with Afghanistan, as you said, the hurricane, COVID, and and you name it. But uh, they have uh, strained relations uh, for decades, and uh, they've hit a low point just last week that they've actually suspended diplomatic relations between the two countries. And and so we, uh, Professor, as you said, uh, uh, Abdul Qadir Berhamoun uh, will shed light on on these uh, outstanding problems and if this will lead to a war or not. He does not think so, but anyway, he gives us a very good historical background about what's going on and good analysis uh, because it's actually it's uh, it could it go could escalate further absolutely uh, but it has not yet and uh, let's uh, watch and listen uh, to Abdelkader Berhamoun. Algeria is cutting diplomatic relations with Morocco this is according to its foreign minister Ramadan Lamamra accusing its neighbor of hostile action. Morocco and Algeria have strained relations for decades mainly over the issue of Western Sahara Also last week, Algeria said lethal wildfires engulfing the country were the work of two groups it had labeled terrorist groups, including the MAK group, which seeks independence for the Kabylie region in which Algeria said was backed by Morocco. Joining us to shed light on these issues, Abdel Qadr Berhamoun, assistant professor at the Middlebury Institute of International Studies in Monterey, California. Welcome to Arab Talk, uh, Abdel Qadir. Thank you, Jamal, uh, for the invitation. So before we delve into into the weeds of the problem, please give us some background information about the old uh, dispute. The issues uh, between the two countries go back uh, to uh, the 1950s during the uh, Algerian Revolution. Uh, where uh, it is claimed, it uh, it says that uh, Morocco uh, had uh, informed uh, the French uh, colonial rule uh, at that time of uh, an airplane that uh, was boarding 
few of the Algerian revolution leaders. So the airplane was hijacked in 1956. Other issues uh, began after the uh, Algerian independence uh, in 1962, after uh, almost eight years of uh, bloody war of independence and 132 years of uh, French colonial rule. So in 1963, uh, Morocco um, uh, began claiming uh, Algerian, some Algerian lands, and they claimed that uh, Bashar and Tindou, especially on the on the um, on the southwestern part of Algeria, uh, they claimed that those lands uh, were Moroccans. So a war occurred at that time in 1963, and uh, France supported the uh, you know the the kingdom uh, of Morocco. And that was another issue. So with what is happening now uh, as, uh, you know, conflict and uh, the rupture of uh, diplomatic relations between the two countries is not new. It's, uh, it dates back to, uh, to history. So it goes back way, way back to the um, Algerian War of Independence. Yes. So uh, taking us back... Before. Yeah, even before. So taking us back some years back on, um, I think, December 18th, 1975, Algeria's president then at the time, Hawari Boumedian, took the decision to expel all Moroccan nationals from the country uh, due to, to that dispute uh, uh, over the same issue, you know, about the Western Sahara. Uh, I, I think about 350,000 Moroccans were expelled from Algeria. Do you expect something similar to this to happen today? Well, today, uh, I think it's, uh, I believe it's different because uh, when we uh, look at the uh, press conference of the uh, Algerian uh, foreign minister, Lamamara, in his uh, press conference, uh, he said that the diplomatic relations are cut off, but consular uh, relations are open still will still exist uh, so that's uh, that's an indication that that I don't believe that there will be any war I don't believe that uh, 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 Algeria will expel uh, any Moroccans living uh, in uh, in Iceland how, ma- how many Moroccans approximately uh, live and work in Algeria? Thousands, uh, not just working, but uh, I mean, we had uh, Algeria and the Morocco had historical uh, relations. And uh, even when I, uh, when I um, talk about the issues in the, during the War of Independence, however, we have to remember that uh, Morocco was also an ally, was supporting the Algerian revolution. And they had, uh, they offered uh, and they opened their borders to Algerian revolutionaries and Algerian people, as well uh, as Tunisia, same case. So we um, we, we cannot uh, forget this side of, uh, you know, this side of uh, history. Uh, the historical relationship exists for, uh, for hundreds of years. 
And uh, there is also intermarriage between Algerians and Moroccans. So there are families in, uh, you know, on the borders, especially the, the, the southern, uh, western part of Algeria. So do you think this is more like government to government, but not a dispute between the people? I think the two uh, the uh, the two populations the two uh, people uh, they uh, they are closer historically they have a lot in common more common uh, you know elements than uh, differences religion languages uh, custom traditions history etc so uh, between the, the two uh, governments, uh, you know, that uh, the region, the Maghreb, is always uh, a, a competition. So the two are competing uh, to be the leader. I mean, when we look at the uh, Maghreb region, there are five countries. Algeria, Morocco, Tunisia, Mauritania, and Libya. Libya is in, uh, you know, what happened in Libya with the, with the civil war. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mauritania and Tunisia are small countries with small armies and uh, less resources. Then the two uh, countries that are left are Algeria and Morocco. They uh, they are bigger in size and also in population. And also the military expenditures are uh, high. So that's another uh, that's uh, that's a concern as well. Because uh, uh, there is there is more uh, spending on the military, and we know that uh, whenever a country spends more on its uh, you know military capabilities, especially in the Arab world, there is less democracy. So, uh, yes. <laughs> so you uh, you have uh, you know you have the two uh, countries competing to be the leader of the region. And also, of course, at the international stage, it's very uh, or it's significant because whoever leads that uh, part of the world, that region, is um, uh, is considered the uh, the powerful uh, state or the pow- powerful entity that uh, international or superpowers uh, have to consult, and there are a lot of gains political, economic uh, gains, etc. So the, also the Algerian foreign minister cited an accumulation of grievances. You know, we, we talked about not just the Western Sahara against Morocco. Uh, he denounced, and I was reading, massive and systematic acts of espionage by Morocco, a reference to allegations that the kingdom's security services used Pegasus spyware developed by the Israeli NSO group against its officials and its citizens. What role this, uh, because there is a shift, you know, as, as you know, you know, Algeria is probably the biggest supporter of the Palestinian independence in the entire uh, Arab world. And uh, what role that normalization, for example, the deal between Morocco and Israel in December uh, play to to kind of uh, pour gasoline on, onto that tension between Rabat and and Algier. Uh, the role of uh, normalization with uh, Israel by Morocco in December 2020 was significant because that was the first time that uh, we had 
uh, Israel on uh, our borders, on Algerian borders. When you establish a relationship, I mean, the relationship between uh, uh, Morocco and Israel uh, did not begin. It's other than the, you know, uh, in the past, uh, from the 1960s, I'll give you just an example that uh, in the 1963 desert war between the two countries, uh, Israel, and uh, there is an article written uh, by an Israeli uh, researcher, I believe in 2013 or 18, uh, mentioning that uh, Israel uh, sent uh, uh, airplanes, military airplanes, through France, of course, uh, to Morocco to fight the war. So that uh, it is not uh, new. And when I say uh, Morocco, I, I talk about the, uh, the Moroccan government. I'm not talking about the, the, uh, the people. So going back to your question about uh, uh, Israeli, uh, you know, the um, normalization of uh, uh, relationship between Morocco and, uh, and Israel is significant. One of the... Uh, uh, also, uh, and I think, uh, I, I believe that uh, Algeria sees this as a big, uh, you know, threat to its stability. Uh, also, the, um, uh, what happened in, um, in uh, August of this year, on August 11th, when the foreign, uh, the Israeli foreign minister uh, went, visited uh, Morocco, uh, he uh, uh, Allegedly, he said, uh, or he claimed, that Algeria uh, was supporting, uh, you know, the presence of Iran in North Africa, and that, uh, and he blamed Algeria for opposing, uh, you know, to accept Israel as an observer in the African Union. Yeah, I was going to actually ask you about this next. <laughs> You know, this is, uh, you're mentioning, just uh, to clarify, this is the first visit of the uh, Israeli foreign minister, Lapid, is uh, the, the yes. current foreign minister. He said that his concerns were based on fears. He said, he said, uh, fears Algeria was getting close to Iran. I'm just quoting his words, yes. as well as the campaign it waged against the admission of Israel as an observer member of the African Union. Yes. So uh, Algeria uh, never had any Israeli, you know, relationship or diplomatic relationship with Israel, and uh, it's uh, it has a very very strong support historically to the Palestinian issue and uh, the Palestinian people. Uh, the this is the, uh, I believe, the um, the stand and the position of the Moroccan uh, kingdom or uh, uh, government uh, in order normalizing a relationship with Israel was a deal uh, that was made with Donald Trump. Trump you know, with the U.S. So the deal was you uh, normalize relationship with uh, Israel and we recognize your sovereignty on the Western Tsar. So that you're right. The, uh, yeah, this is, uh, you're, you're referring to the normalization deal between Morocco and Israel in December. 
uh, also which triggered the tensions between Rabat and Nigeria because the U.S. recognized Moroccan sovereignty over the Western Sahara as part of the accord. And let's just make that connection. This, is, this came uh, very shortly after Donald Trump also recognized Israel's sovereignty over the occupied Syrian Golan Heights. Yes. So uh, Morocco saw that this is our opportunity to get the commitment of the United States, just like, you know, they don't care about United Nations resolutions or what the people want. They figured we're going to play the same ga game that Israel plays. As long as the United States gives us the green light, then we're okay. And that's a very dangerous uh, game because you see now uh, militarization of the region. One factor uh, in uh, the um, the issue uh, or the you know the diplomatic relation between Algeria and Morocco, and uh, the cause of uh, cutting off the relationship, is that uh, in uh, July 2021 20, uh, of this year. Uh, the permanent representative, uh, the Moroccan permanent representative at the UN distributed the document, and that was first, the first uh, uh, time that a Moroccan official did that. He distributed the document at the non-aligned group session, claiming or saying that the region of Kabylia, Kabylia or the uh, Kabyl region is in the, uh, is located in the southern, no, in the northeastern part of Algeria. And uh, it's populated by, uh, I am not going to use Berbers, but I'm going to use Amazigh. Amazigh, yeah. So uh, in that document, he, um, he called for, uh, and that's a very dangerous term, called for the, uh, the self, uh, you know, for the autonomy of, uh, of that region from Algeria uh, and the separation of that region from the country. And that, um, uh, the response of, uh, of the Algerian government and people, and even people from Kabylia, uh, of course, opposed and uh, felt threatened by this, uh, you know, uh, by this uh, document and by this act. So they're playing the game. They're saying, okay, if Algeria supports the Polisario and you want independence of the Western Sahara, we're yes. asking for independence of the Kabylie, Kabylie region. Yes. And that's... Uh, uh, there are a lot of provocations. Uh, the same, uh, you know, Omar Hilal, the same uh, official, uh, was uh, actually the uh, uh, the general secretary of uh, the foreign affairs, or the, uh, we call it here, uh, uh, State Department. Uh, in uh, in 2000, I believe in 2006, uh, and it was leaked by uh, WikiLeaks uh, in a, a mail or message uh, to the um, uh, to the uh, U.S. ambassador, and that's another. Uh, it's interesting uh, that he uh, uh, claimed uh, that Algeria uh, is. Uh, representing Iran in North Africa. And also uh, the, there were claims in the past that Algeria has a nuclear military program. So 
So it's uh, it is interesting the uh, the different games that uh, you know uh, that Morocco uh, officials uh, have been playing, and uh, like I said, it's a very different, uh, dangerous game. It seems. Uh, I mean, look. Uh... Algeria has been very stable recently. I mean, it went through a lot of things uh, in the past, uh, post post the, re- the revolution. And we saw what happened to Libya. Libya is a failed state. It's a total mess. Tunisia is barely making it. You know, the, it was the, the, the center of, or the epicenter of the Arab Spring. Algeria was not affected by everything that was going around. It, it managed to, to protect itself and it looks like there are forces now working from the outside externally to ruin this stability in Algeria. I mean, what's the connection between Algeria and Iran? I mean, they have diplomatic relations, but it's not, Algeria is not a, let's say, a Shia state, you know, and they're trying to create. And then, of course, we all know that Algeria was used for experimentation, nuclear experimentation by the French, uh-huh. uh, not uh, that they are developing their own nuclear weapons. Yes, uh, I mean, there are causes uh, why Algerians uh, did not go through, uh, you know, the Arab Spring in 2011. Uh, several causes. One of them, and, and I believe uh, is the main one, is that Algeria went through the so-called Arab uh, Spring in 1988. And uh, the young, uh, there were young, uh, you know, uh, protests against uh, the one-party system at that time. And after those, uh, you know, we call it the revolution of the youth. After that, in 89, a multi-party system, a new constitution was uh, uh, was announced, uh, uh, and a multi-party system was uh, established, and the uh, and the, op- the political uh, field was open. Uh, between 89 and uh, 90, the end of uh, December 91, January 92, we had the first democratic experience in the Arab world. Uh, in December uh, 1991, three parties, political parties, uh, won the elections, the legislative uh, elections, the Islamic Party, uh, the Islamic Front of uh, Salvation, and then the uh, FFS, Socialist, uh, Socialist Forces, or Socialist uh, Political Party, and the FLN, which uh, which is the, uh, the Nationalist uh, Party, it was uh, National Liberation Front that uh, launched the uh, War of Independence against the French in the 19 in 1954 to 1962. So um, the uh, military uh, institution did not uh, or decided to interrupt uh, that democratic process, and in um, January 1992. Um, uh, the, the the president at that time, Shadli Benjdid, was forced to resign. So there was a coup. And from then, 1992, for almost 10 years, a civil war erupted. And we saw uh, more than 250,000 people killed and uh, disappearance of uh, uh, there are numbers, uh, official and uh, civil, but 
the number uh, can go uh, up to 20,000 people disappear. Uh, so the, uh, the Algerians uh, went through the war, wars. They went through a very bloody war of independence that uh, claimed, uh, uh, you know, more than a million, well, a million and a half uh, of uh, civilian, of martyrs. And then you have the civil war in the 1990s with 250,000 uh, people killed. So the Arab Spring, when the Arab Spring happened in 2011, uh, we had experience. Uh, we went through the, uh, you know, all this violence, all these uh, marches, all the, all the, uh, you know, the bloody, uh, like the, the, the war consequences. So that's why Algeria, uh, I mean, everybody was saying, okay, next after Egypt, after, uh, you know, Tunisia, Egypt, uh, Syria, Algeria will be next. But they were wrong because of a lot of causes in our uh, history. So the, uh, what happened in 2019 uh, the strategy, strategy of uh, the uh, of people shifted. So there was a non-violent, uh, uh, non-violent marches uh, twice a week, uh, beginning of uh, February 22nd, 2019, marches uh, long, uh, against popular marches, marches against uh, the. Um, uh, the renewal of the President Bouteflika's mandate. So for two years until COVID, until March 20, uh, yeah, 20, uh, 20, 2020, uh, because of uh, COVID, uh, the protesters and the Hirak, we call the popular movement Al-Hirak, mm-hmm. decided to uh, stop uh, Marches because of uh, health, uh, you know, reasons and because of COVID. So the uh, now uh, in, uh, in last few months uh, uh, there were a lot of white fires in Algeria, and uh, and Algeria uh, accused Morocco of being uh, the instigator and supporting the MAK, and also uh, supporting Rashad. Rashad is an Islamist uh, organization based in, uh, they have members in um, uh, England, their leaders, uh, one of them, the most, uh, the well-known or the most known member of this organization is uh, Larbi Zitot, and another member or other members in Switzerland, and so this uh, organization is uh, labeled by the Algerian government as a terrorist organization, as well as the MAK. So both of them are labeled uh, now uh, as the terrorist organization that uh, seek uh, the destabilization of uh, Algeria. Um, I mean, as far as the Hirak, uh, the Hirak uh, or the uh, People's uh, uh, you know, Movement, 
is legitimate. It has grievances because the people, when they marched every week from 2019 until COVID occurred. The grievances and the demands uh, were for democratic Algeria, for uh, against the Bouteflika's uh, um, uh, new uh, mandate, against corruption. Uh, A lot of le- legitimate, legitimate claims, including uh, high unemployment, uh, the youth want to be employed. Going forward, because Somehow Algeria thinks that Morocco is behind all these terrorist organizations, whether uh, causing to destabilize the, the country or, or taking advantage of Algeria's problems with the fires. And this is, uh, we should say, it's not exclusive to Algeria. We're having fires right here in California. There are fires in Greece. There are fires in Turkey. I mean, that's a whole different topic about uh, global warming, but they are practically pouring gasoline on the fire, right, to destabilize the country. I mean, these, uh, and again, these are allegations. I mean, you, the wildfires, uh, like you said, are uh, caused by uh, climate change. And uh, so these are allegations, um, and there is no, until now, the uh, Justice Department is still investigating uh, uh, so these are allegations, and uh, and also you uh, uh, any time that uh, a country uh, has political uh, tensions internally, any country doesn't matter where specifically. Well, in the Arab world, uh, we have seen many cases. Any time that a country uh, has political in- um, tensions internally. It seeks uh, an external, uh, you know, uh, kind of uh, enemy or external reason to uh, to uh, sometimes to distract people from their own, you know, reality okay. and, uh, and also to uh, strengthen their power. And it's uh, both countries, I think Algeria and Morocco governments, you know, they... Like both countries, uh, the stability index is low. The internal mm. uh, stability is low. The so de- you feel that you feel both countries are distracting uh, from their internal issues by it's creating just, a whole external yeah, issue. It's not just that, but uh, it's also uh, at the regional and the international stage. Uh, like um, uh, as I said uh, before, you need uh, or they one of them has to be or wants to be the leader of the region. So going forward, what do you think is going to happen uh, between Morocco and Algeria? I I don't believe uh, there will be a war between the two uh, countries. There is a dangerous, it's a very dangerous situation, but the internal uh, situations in both countries um, are not uh, appropriate or ready for that. So I believe that... um, uh, there is tension, yes. There is militarization of the region, yes. But uh, to go to uh, the extent of uh, launching a war, I don't believe uh, that uh, will happen. Abdel Qader Barhamon, thank you for coming on Arab Talk. Thank you very much for uh, having me, Jamal. And it's, it's very uh, good to see you. 
That's the uh, voice and the face of Professor Abdelkader Barahoum, assistant professor at uh, Middlebury Institute in Monterey, I, giving us Jamal probably one of the you know, most comprehensive, thorough analyses of the historical significance of the relationship between Algeria and Morocco and bringing us up to date. I mean, in, in my mind, it, it, it feels like it's a much more serious situation, uh, than, than we even realize. Uh, although he doesn't believe that they're going to go to war. These relations are very strained and, uh, it can't be good for North Africa and the rest of the region. Yeah, and also uh, there are a lot of unknowns. Uh, one of the unknowns uh, is, of course, uh, Israel uh, restoring uh, ties with uh, Morocco. Well, I think that's I think that's right, Jamal. You know, Algeria has been through the the equivalent of multiple Arab Springs over the decades, including a very you know very damaging and you know, overcoming a brutal occupation of the French. And uh, even afterwards, going through its own internal political struggles. And Algeria remains, in some ways, you know, very stable North African country. Morocco, on the other hand, Jamal, you know, is playing this kind of game about, and this may be a proxy, what's happening between Algeria and Morocco may be like a example of multiple proxy wars that are going on, political and intelligence services in Africa, with the United States and the Israelis trying to gain a foothold in the region, and other uh, and other countries and interests kind of trying to block that. We know that similar things are happening in Sudan, and there's uh, similar things happening in other African, Central and so Southern African uh, areas. So, we can learn a lot from what's happening between Morocco and Algeria right now because Africa is part of a larger proxy war going on right now. You, you're right. And it's, uh, you know, Algeria, Morocco always considered itself as the gateway to Europe for entire Africa. I mean, this is uh, how they kind of, uh, and they right. also perceive themselves as the link between Africa and Europe. And this is what the king likes to kind of be in that position. Right. So, and he does maintain good, you know, Morocco maintains good relations with, uh, you know, its neighbors, uh, with the exception with this issue with the Western Sahara, and also with Europe, with Spain, with France, with uh, the EU, with the United States, as, as you've mentioned, it's very, it's, it's very important. And Algeria, as of recently, actually, has had a major rapprochement with, with the rest of Europe. Right. Uh, I mean, aside from its issues with France in the past, because France has never apologized for what it had done in Algeria, nevertheless, it's, it's a strong ally, it's a strong ally to NATO, it's a strong ally to the EU, and then, uh, of course, the Arab world, and not to mention, it's a major uh, producer of uh, oil, Right. Uh, in, in, in the region. Morocco does not have that. That's why when uh, Professor Berhamon, we, we, we started talking about in 1975, when they had a similar issue, Algeria expelled uh, close to 350,000 Moroccans working there. And they work there because, you know, Morocco, offer, I mean, Algeria offers employment That's right. out of all of Northern Africa. In fact, the other country that used to offer employment to both Moroccans and Tunisians is uh, Libya, you know, during its its 
prime days that that's right. all uh, has gone. Uh, but Algeria is still a major oil producer. It's a major strategic, uh, it has a major strategic uh, location on the Mediterranean. And so there is a rivalry between that leadership, whether it's going to be in Algeria or in, in Morocco. You're listening to Arab Talk on KPOO San Francisco 89.5 FM. I'm going to shift gears here, uh, Jess, and and uh, I guess uh, President Biden declared victory uh, this week, and he said, um, yeah, you know, the, uh, we shifted the thing to the evacuation campaign, and he described the evacuation campaign as an extraordinary success. Do you think? That what this was the case. Well, Jamal, you know, twenty years and three billion, <clears throat> three trillion dollars later, massive corruption, massive, massive loss of uh, treasure, of blood, of American and Afghan lives. You know, destroyed, injured, and decimated. It was difficult for 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 me and for many people to hear Biden d- declare this as a victory. But I, I will say this: he was very careful to parse out the victory claim from the war effort, from the evacuation effort. I would say that evacuating 120,000 plus people in that short period of time, you you could make the argument, and I could see him making the argument that was an extraordinarily successful event. Um, but that's just focusing on the evacuation. That that says nothing about what what was left in its wake, what's left behind, the trillions of dollars that were wasted, the corruption of the previous governments, and the kind of vacuum that's now created in Afghanistan. And, you know, his big promise that any American who wanted to come uh, back to the United States, they would stay and do that. As it turns out, there's still a couple of hundred Americans still in Afghanistan for some reason. They didn't give a lot of details. And there are literally tens of thousands, perhaps even hundreds of thousands of people who want to leave, who are at the border with Pakistan, who are at other borders, who are unable to get processed. And I will say, having spoken to some Afghans this last week, Jamal, there are thousands and thousands of Afghans who did work with the U.S. military who are in hiding right now who fear that uh, if the Taliban were to find them, they would be, you know, killed or taken prisoner immediately. So, you know, Biden parsed his words very carefully. You know, was the evacuation success? Okay, let's give him that. Let's give him some credit for finally ending the devastating uh, impact of 20 years of ruining a country. And I'll end, Jamal, by asking you a question when was the last time that an American or any occupation, American, Israeli, whatever, whomever, uh, French, since we're on the topic of uh, Algeria, when was the last time in the in our modern memory or even not so modern memory where the occupation of a country has turned out to be successful? This is a catastrophe. It always ends in misery. I mean, that's, that's a fact. And it's good that you've mentioned the Algerian, uh, I mean, the French occupation of uh, and colonization of of Algeria it cost the uh, Algerians over one million lives. Imagine, imagine, and and not to mention those who disappeared and and, right. and all those who had to leave the country because they were collaborating with the French and ended up in France. It destroyed so many lives. 
It's unspeakable, actually, uh, what the French ha uh, had done in uh, Algeria. But we, we can cite so many examples. Vietnam is one, another one. Uh, the occupation of Israel and colonization of Palestine is another one. And you go down the list. And Central, uh, and, South, and, Central and South America, Jamal, yes, with various and, occupations. So yeah, and, where, and, where, and the United where, States where do we ends find up with success? mud on its face all the time. When the right. United States is involved, it ends up with mud on its face, and that's the sad thing. So I actually agree with you. We give uh, President Biden a uh, lot of credit for actually having the will and the strength to, to say that's enough, 20 years is enough. Uh, you know, Trump was talking about this. He didn't do it. He didn't have the guts to do it. He did it, and he did it very fast with, the, of course, the last unfortunate uh, attack that cost American lives and, and, and scores of uh, Afghan innocent lives who are trying to leave the country. Aside from this... There is no withdrawal that looks that's going to look uh, rosy and, no. and and beautiful, and according to the figures that were now given by the State Department, they put it that they put that there are under three hundred people who are Americans or um, or visa holders or green card holders who remain in the country in Afghanistan, some by choice, and others because they are unable to make it to the airport. That's on on the kind of the American side. The Taliban has been playing nice and they're saying, you know, they're going to allow people who have visas and passports, they'll allow them to leave. And they're talking about we'll not see. only the Americans, remember the Brits also, uh, they're now evacu evacuating people. So if, you know, like you said, going from 120,000 plus to just 300. That's, a, that's remarkable. Yeah. Not a single day, you know, all the media showed you the last soldier right. who withdrew that you don't have American boots on the ground. We don't have to worry about that. We don't have to deal with that. Yeah. I mean, imagine just the sad thing, the 13 Americans, Jess, right. who lost their lives just the last month. And how many more would have lost their lives had we remained there? Absolutely, Jamal. That's That's, that's precisely the point, is that... Um, and and I think Biden was, you know, and I, I'm not a big fan of agreeing with Biden on many things, so don't get me wrong. But he was very uh, precise and, and very forceful about saying the only two options were escalation or ending the occupation and removing all uh, a military footprint in Afghanistan. There was no in-between. And the problem with with Bush, Obama and then Trump, is that they felt that they could do this kind of half in, half out. The, the breaking news for people who have ever been occupiers, whether it's the French or the Israelis or the Americans, there's no half in or half out. You're either all in or you're all out when it comes to an occupation. So Biden is the only one who had the courage to call it what it was, be clear about it, take take the accountability for it, which I do give him credit for, and removing the U.S. presence. But the larger issue, which history will judge the United States very harshly on, Jamal, is that the United States committed and continues to commit the same grievous mistakes about believing that it can bring democracy to other places by force. This has been you know, look at what happened in Iraq. Look at what happened in Afghanistan. Look at what what's happening with the American 
pseudo-occupation or semi-occupation in Syria with all of the military personnel that are in Syria right now. I don't think we can point to any example where the military intervention has actually proved to be successful at all. Now, I will say, though, the destabilized Afghanistan, destabilized Iraq, destabilized Syria, destabilized Lebanon probably has some advantage or serves the strategic interests. Uh, I think the Israelis believe that. I, I think that's incorrect. I think the Americans believed it was strategically in their best interest to get out temporarily. But what we're going to see, as we've seen in the past, Jamal, with when these regions get destabilized, they get flooded by people who, you know, may not have the best interests of the United States in mind, whether that's ISIS-K or other derivations. It's going to be ugly and messy for a long time. Well, we cannot keep policing the world. No. I mean, this has been said time and time again. There are countries, regional countries, who'd like to drag you into their own issues. Uh, Afghanistan, going to Afghanistan, supposedly had a purpose. The purpose is over, has been over for many years. 17 years. There is no reason, years. <laughs> there is no reason forever, to yeah. stay there. We've we've seen the Israeli prime minister just last week right here in the United States to talk about Iran. Actually, Biden kind of shifted the conversation right. from what I what I read and what I've heard about about Iran because this is what uh, his predecessor Benjamin Netanyahu has been trying to do for the past decade is to drag the United States in yet an, into another war. And so hopefully we are smarter. I don't think so. <laughs> not to drag in, hopefully, you know, because well, there yeah. are people uh, on a regional thing like, uh, sure. you know, who applauded the destruction of, uh, for example, Iraq. I know Israel is one of the big cheerleaders. Right. Uh, you right. know, who, who a country that wanted to see the destruction of of Iraq? So was uh, Saudi Arabia, right? And and look what happened to Iraq. Uh, look at a, a an ancient civilization that has not yet recovered. And again, we talk about talked about Afghanistan and the billions of dollars we poured into Iraq. Is Iraq better off today no. than than, it, it, than it, it, before it, the war, the invasion of Iraq? No, Iraq is not better off. Afghanistan is not better off. Syria is not better off. All of these are we better off? Is the United States better better off? Uh, that's no. A, that's a great point, Jamal. Because the only people, the only institutions that benefited from those trillions of dollars in Iraq and Afghanistan were military contractors, the industrial military complex and all the corrupt officials in Iraq and Afghanistan who pocketed so much of the money. It didn't help any of the people on the ground. In fact, you could argue that people in Afghanistan, their lives are much worse off, in Iraq for sure, 100% much worse off than they were prior to these invasions. So I just want to so say... Just, I, just, I, there just, is one war I support the United States to be engaged in. Do you which, know what war is this? Which one? The war against COVID. <laughs> if we want to put our resources, I, that's the war. It's an internal war also well, to get all these anti-vaxxers yeah, yeah. to a little be differently. vaccinated. Yeah. Not, I'm not 
gonna worry about what's going on halfway across the globe when we have people st- are, who are still dying in this country. We have people who are still unemployed in this country. I mean, we don't know what's ahead of us. No, Jabal, And but- so the last thing we want to be is be dragged into something outside the United States. Yeah, but look at, we still have 23% of children in the United States going to bed hungry, still. And you, do you think that $3 trillion and the the numbers of would have helped the poverty and, and disenfranchisement of, of so many millions of Americans? And, and the other thing is, if you look at the 40,000 servicemen that are permanently disabled for the rest of their lives and the thousands that were killed, how they could, servicemen and women, how they could have contributed to the economy had they not been injured or lost their lives. I just wanted to say one thing about, I agree with you on the war against COVID, but I would say the war is not against COVID, Jamal. It's a war against ignorance because uh, we have the capability, unlike Iraq and Afghanistan, to win the war against COVID. If everybody got vaccined, uh, vaccinated, we would, in fact, uh, be completely victorious. But the real war, Jamal, is a war against ignorance. And we have a ignorance problem uh, in the United States. I'm still watching people on TV saying, even after the full approval from that from the FDA, you know, not the emergency use, full approval for the Pfizer vaccine, you still have people saying on the national news, well, I'm not so sure I trust it. More study needs to be done. I mean, would you look at the 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 side effect profile versus what happens if you get COVID, the difference is just staggering. There's, you know, 95% of the people who are hospitalized in the United States right now are the unvaccinated and more and more children are dying, more and more children are getting sick. So the war, it's the war against ignorance, in my humble opinion. And that's just not COVID. That's a lot of things in this country. So before we go, we have a few minutes. Yeah. Um, so after the meeting, going back to Israel and uh, Neftali Bennett coming to the, to the United States, Biden put some pressure on him to say, you got to meet with the Palestinians. <laughs> so his defense minister, Benny Gantz, met right. with uh, President Mahmoud Abbas. What a joke. And they actually from the Palestinian end, we didn't get anything about what transpired. I'm getting all this information Guess from where? From the Israeli media. Right, Because they leaked a lot of the information right. to the Israeli media. And of course, now Palestinian factions are going crazy and they're condemning the meeting uh, between Gantz and, and Abbas as a dangerous development. And uh, they're calling it a stab in the back to the Palestinians. And during that meeting, of course, who was in that meeting, we know that Hussein Sheikh, head of the Palestinian General Authority Civil Affairs, attended the meeting. Also, Majid Faraj, head of the Palestinian Authority General Intelligence. And uh, and according to Israel, Gantz made, uh, made a series of goodwill gestures to the Palestinian uh, Authority. And so the one gesture that he made was to give a loan to the PA, 500 million shekels, Israeli shekels. Loaning uh, the Palestinians loan. money yeah. that is theirs. That is that, the- exactly. And that, that was the money 
that basically they're holding. that's held yeah, that they're the tax ho- money. Uh, that's basically held the tax money or the vat uh, that Israel holds on Palestinian exports and and imports. They said, "We'll loan you." Against that, 500 uh, million uh, shekels. Unbelievable. And so you look at it again, here we go again. It's everything that they're doing is just to maintain the status quo because Israel now and apparently President Biden, they're both worried that the Palestinian Authority might collapse and they might lose Mahmoud Abbas. So they're still hanging on to... Mahmoud Abbas, basically, and the Palestinian Authority and maintaining the status quo. And this is not what the Palestinians want. They, they'd like to see some change. change. Yeah. And, and then added to this, they're back to guess what? Talking about what? Security coordination. Security coordination and economic uh, improvement for Palestinian lives. They're what not a, talking about what an independent state. They are not talking about withdrawing from Area C in the West Bank. They are not talking about... It's just like you look at it, and I don't know if you want to laugh or you want to cry. I I looked at the details, uh, some some of the minutes of the the meeting, you know, at best. You know, there is some stuff we don't have it because he met privately and others. he, He had other people included. But again, they're talking about crazy things. You know, allowing additional 16,000 Palestinians to work in Israel and having the civil administration approve more Palestinian building projects in Area C, which Israel was supposed to withdraw from that ages ago. Now they have to go through Israel to get their building building permits. And, uh, and, and said, uh, you know, we are now... Uh, this is from Gantz, he, he, his words. I came to the meeting to build trust and safeguard the interests of the state of Israel and to strengthen our important ties with the Palestinian Authority. Well, I could, I'm, I could safely say, Jamal, that I both laugh and cry that this will be yet another failure. This was to give Biden a little cover. But of course it's going to fail we still see massive demonstrations be- on the border between Gaza and the Israeli checkpoints. Uh, the the situation, the drumbeats of war, nothing was mentioned about what's happening in Gaza, the blockade of Gaza, the largest, you know, open air prison in the world, the squeezing of Gaza. Nothing was said in the leaked uh, minutes of the meeting with President Abbas. I'm afraid that this is yet another example of the um uh, of the of being in denial of the israeli occupation both the israelis the americans and mahmoud abbas the denial of how bad the situation is right now and it's not going to get better with these false uh these false deals it's 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 ridiculous to put it mildly you've been listening to arab talk on kpoo san francisco 89.5 fm Go to our website, ArabTalkRadio.com, to download our latest shows, and we will talk to you next week. See you next week.